0: And welcome to another episode of the Utopia-ish podcast. I'm Allie Jessing. I'm a multidisciplinary artist, a utopian philosopher, and the founder of Aspasia Media, the multimedia streaming platform for independent art. Uh, that's my new intro that I've prepared for this episode. Um, So, I know that I promised an upcoming episode on effective discourse, and I've decided to delay that again because I felt called to do a series about like what utopia ish is, what my philosophy is about um, thinking about a utopian ish society are like what this podcast is really based on. I sort of introduced that in the first episode when I explained what this podcast is, but now I want to do a series, uh, where I really deep dive into like, how do we start thinking about like, what's my take on how do we start thinking about what a utopia would look like, how we could achieve that, what considerations we need to have, so I sat down and I started taking notes for this and I was like, wow, okay, this is, <laughs> this is going to be a series of episodes. Um, so this first one is going to be kind of setting up the foundations for thinking about this problem. So I'm going to be talking a little bit about why I am coming from a philosophical perspective, um, to discuss this issue, what that means, some you know, foundational kind of ideas that I'm going to be building from while we're talking about this. So thank you so much for being here. Um, this is still the early days of the podcast. So if you are listening, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Um, I'm really, really excited to be doing this work. I'm feeling really good about this space and I'm really excited for the trajectory of this series. So, um, This is taking almost the format of like a lecture, like almost the format as if I was going to be giving a class on this sort of because every, when I very first started to sit down to write about this, I kept going, Oh, okay. Well, in order to talk about this, I have to talk about this and I have to set this up and this up and this up. So I'm really breaking this down and starting from the kind of fundamental ideas and then building from there. So that's what this. keep smacking my microphone. Um, that's what this is going to be. So, um, this episode is the, the power of philosophy, why I think it's important, how we're going to use it, how I'm going to use it, what ideas, what philosophical ideas have influenced me in conceptualizing this, uh, utopian-ish collection of ideas. Um, So if you haven't listened before, I did my undergraduate degree in philosophy. So a lot of these ideas were things I was exposed to during my education in that. And then I've kind of expanded upon them um, in my own thought. So, you know, one of the things I think is so interesting about philosophy is that it's very misunderstood. So when I was studying philosophy, uh, people would always say to me, like, so useless. Like, what are you going to do with that? And even people within my field, like even people who are studying philosophy alongside me, were saying, oh, what are you going to do with philosophy? Like, what's the, like, what's the point of that? And I think that's so amazing. Um, I love philosophy. I think philosophy is is incredibly valuable. And, and I'll explain why that is. Um, and it's funny, I recently, so I went on a trip to Seattle with my friend, and I picked up this book in a used bookstore. I have a copy of it here. So if you're watching on the YouTube channel, um, you can see it's called The Dream of Reason by Anthony Gottlieb. And I I just saw this in a used bookstore, picked it up, it seemed interesting, and I haven't gotten very far into it. I'm really only, like, 20 pages in. But already he said something that really aligns with what I'm going to say here, which is he sort of explains that philosophy as soon as philosophical questions start to become really like addressed and really studied, then we start to think of them as being problems of quote unquote, other areas of study like sociology or science or something. Um, and so he's like, you know, philosophy kind of gets lost. Like what started as a philosophical question then becomes a problem in another, another area. And I'm using air quotes when I talk about an a, another area of study Because in my opinion, everything is philosophy and philosophy is everything like philosophy is the original, is the, is the umbrella, is the OG subject from which all other subjects are born. And so I have here written in my notes, like philosophy is the question It's the question that then leads us to develop a scientific method. It's the question that then leads us to seek to understand the universe or seek to understand the insides of our bodies or seek to understand the depths of the ocean. And so to me, every subject is philosophy. Um, And that's why I think philosophy – it's bizarre to me that philosophy is not like the core of our education system. Um, because really it's funny, I'm skipping around in my outline now, but I'm just going with the flow, you know, um, what we're doing in our education system. A lot of the time these days is like teaching people how to internalize, like memorize and then regurgitate information. And very little of what we learn, especially in our early education, really like until we get to college is critical thought and analytical thought and reason and rationality. You know, like we're just teaching and I really, I will dive into this more deeply in an episode on education, but a huge component of what we're teaching is just like obedience and conformity, you know? And so I would love to see an education system where we, we really the things, some of the things that I'm about to speak to in this episode of this podcast are things that we teach to kids, like teaching kids, what are the fundamental questions from which we are building our society? You know, what are the fundamental assumptions that we're making about what the nature of reality is, what the meaning of life is, what a society is for? I think that, you know, as I was outlining this and as I've been considering like what role I have to play in the world of thought and what I want to do with this podcast, um, I don't really see a lot of the questions about our society and, and how we should be functioning within it and how we should be creating it. Getting broken down into these component questions, getting broken down into these parts. And so that's what this episode is really going to be because philosophy is uniquely human, right? Like when we discuss like what differentiates us from other animals, a lot of times we say things like, Oh, we're self aware or, you know, we have the, we have self control. We have the ability to choose what kinds of behaviors we're going to engage in and things like that. But I think that, you know, especially under my definition of philosophy, where I'm really using philosophy as a kind of umbrella term for like just the question, right? Like the ability to look around and say, why, how, what, when, who? Um That is very uniquely human. And it is something that, it is like the foundation of so much of what we've been able to create as a species, um, and what differentiates us from other animals. So let me think. Yeah. Okay. I feel like I lost the thread of a point I was going to make, but that's okay because that happens. Um, so I'll just move on to the next point I wanted to make, which is one thing that I love about philosophy and that I that I really think is so important about it, so important to the topic at hand, so important in the early education that I was speaking about and very tied to this definition of philosophy I'm using as philosophy as being kind of the fundamental question. And it's why I decided to study philosophy. So I may address this in more depth in another episode, but effectively what happened to me was I – was in community college and I was going to study music, um, because I've always been a musician. And then I just am very, very bad at academic music. Like, I really don't enjoy it. And I, I, I didn't like doing it as a, as a mode of study. I did eventually get a master's in it. So that's a topic for another time, but, um, I thought about all the other classes that I had taken and I was like, what will I study when it came time to transfer to university and choose a major? And the the reason that I chose philosophy is that it, it was the one place, the one class, the one subject where I didn't have to take anything for granted. You know, I loved my psychology courses, But in those courses, it was like, okay, so this is what the hypothalamus does. And this is what the hippocampus is. And, you know, you have to memorize this information, like prepare for the test. And philosophy was the only place where I could unironically raise my hand in the middle of class and say, but what is time and not get like teachers and other students rolling their eyes at me. Right. Because I think being a fundamentally very curious and questioning person who isn't particularly obedient Um, or particularly conforming, I get a lot of pushback from teachers and other students who are like, oh, you're wasting our time. You're, you know, you're asking all these questions, you know, it's like that often gets looked at like, oh, you're, you're, you're derailing, you're disrupting the, the learning process. And philosophy was the one place where like you could ask a question like that and it would be celebrated by the teacher. It would be celebrated by the students. You didn't have to just accept anything you were told. You didn't have to just assume the truth of whatever you were told. And we could really just dive into these questions. And that's why it was like it was so intense when I was writing the outline for this episode because I would start to write something and I would be like, oh, but you know, even to use a term and I'll get into this later, but to use a term like objectivity or subjectivity requires us to get on the same page about what we mean by that. And what we mean by that might be different in different contexts and things like this. And I think that a lot of conflict that comes in conversations, and this is going to be something that I should address in the discourse episode comes from just people Meaning different things by the words that they're using. And that's inevitable. Like we should have a healthy understanding that everyone has a different intrinsic understanding of the meanings of words. And there's so only so many ways in which we can get on the same page. Um, And that's why I think that it's like a pet peeve of mine when people say, oh, that's just semantics. Like semantics is vital. It's very important that we understand what we're talking about so we're not arguing about two different things. And this is all in support of me explaining why philosophy is so important and it's really at the core of the work that I want to do here in this episode. It's really at the core of my life and how I identify as a a creator and a thinker, um, and I feel like you know a lot of people just view philosophy as being this very inaccessible, very uh, kind of esoteric, kind of intangible thing. And I don't agree. I think there's a lot of tangibility, but I also think that to a certain extent, the the question nature. Of philosophy is very important that we we really need to start releasing our sense of certainty, uh, and that's, so that's what I'm going to get into here. So I wrote down here that I really I see philosophy as this really the true source of human ingenuity and intellect and culture, right? So we experience the world around us. We philosophize about it. We think about it. We ask questions about it. We're curious. We wonder. And then we put those philosophies into action. We test them. We experiment with our ideas about the reality within which we find ourselves. We write books about it. We have conversations about it. And then we progress. And that's how we've gotten to the society that we're in right now, to the imperfect society that we're in right now. And that's how we will improve the society that we're in right now. And so we need a healthy understanding of philosophy and what that means and how practical it is and how useful it is to us as a society to intentionally develop ourselves. Because I think there's been a lot of unintentional development of our society and I'll address that in the next episode in the series when I start to talk about um, competition-based and profit-based societal structures, which is what we're functioning from right now. But, you know, we can choose to start really constructing our society with intention. Um and that, like the the fundamental core of that is is philosophy and the question uh and a healthy degree of skepticism. So that's what I'm going to dive into now. So the question of utopia-ish, right? When we're, we're sitting here thinking about like okay, what is the ideal society? How would we accomplish that? What's a utopia? How how do we get that? Well, as I mentioned in the first episode, um you know, if you're put off by the concept of utopia, the point of utopia-ish Is that what like perfection is an ideal. It's not a real thing. So no, we're never going to have a perfect society. We get that, but we can't allow cynicism to prevent us from aiming for the best possible society that we can reach and get to and just iterate and iterate and iterate on our society until it's. The best thing that we can and then make it better and then make it better, you know, and just keep improving it. And, but, but what does that even mean? Right. So we have to figure out what it is that we are working towards, you know, and I think the fundamental question at the heart of that of like, what is society for is what is the meaning of life? Right. Like, what are we here for? Like, what's going on? What is the, what is the situation within which we find ourselves? And many people and many cultures have tried to answer this question. And I want to address that now. Like, that question, that's philosophy. That's what we're here to do. That's the fundamental core of, of figuring out what our society is for, is breaking it down to this fundal, fundamental philosophical question of what the fuck are we doing here? Like, What is this for? What is this life for? How can we use the philosophical capacities that we've been given as human beings to reflect on ourselves, to reflect on our presence here and use that to improve upon our experience of life so I want to break down a couple of concepts that we're, that I'm going to be using in this, um, in this podcast, in this particular series, in this episode. So the first one is ontology, which is uh, the, the philosophical study of the nature of being or existence or reality or what is. So it's the question of like, okay, what's real? What exists? And the next one is epistemology, which is the study of the nature of knowledge. What can we know? Like, what can we say that we know? Um, So if you've ever heard the phrase, and, you know, I will, as a side note, I really want this podcast to be as accessible as possible to anyone. And so I'm going to be sometimes saying things that for for certain people who are more familiar with these concepts, you might be like, okay, yeah, we get it, Allie. But I really want to make sure that everyone can understand what I'm talking about. So if you uh, have ever heard the phrase, like, I think, therefore I am, that's Descartes. And that's very much a, 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 a an encapsulation of his attempts to kind of address these questions of like, what can I know? Well, okay, I know that I exist i'm having an experience because i'm thinking and so i exist and that's a that's not only an answer to you know what is i am my thoughts are they exist but also to like what can i know well i know that i exist and the reason that descartes is is coming up with that answer to begin with is a question That is really my favorite part of all philosophy. And I think one of the most practical things in philosophy that I think is really underrated, uh, which is skepticism and specifically skepticism of the external world. So, this for me was like the end all be all. Like, this was the best thing I learned in my entire undergraduate education in philosophy. Like, this just, I think it's so practical and so useful. Um, and it's so, I'm going to do a whole episode on skepticism and it's funny because, you know, within the entrepreneurship community, like stoicism is very well celebrated these days. Like stoicism, like this is how you avoid suffering is stoicism. Um, and I'm not going to go like in depth into that, but if you guys want me to, I'll do an episode on stoicism and it's like role in society right now. (laughs) Um, But I think skepticism and by skepticism, I really mean like in the philosophical sense, like the school of skepticism, Um, not necessarily skepticism in the colloquial sense, which is another thing I'd love to address. It might get addressed later when I'm talking about colloquial versus philosophical versus personal terms. But in fact, I'm going to say that now. So Something that's important to address in this context is that again with with the issue of semantics skepticism can be spoken the that word can be spoken with so many different meanings. So in this episode when I'm talking about skepticism I'm talking about skepticism of the external world, a school of philosophy that I will that I have yet to explain. But, you know, I often talk to people in my day-to-day life who they refer to themselves as skeptical. And in my opinion, what they often mean by that is actually more akin to like cynicism, Um, you know, because doubt is also a word that holds a kind of nuanced meaning where in the skeptical school of philosophy, doubt just means like something more... Aligned with what they use in court reasonable doubt where you're basically like, I'm not certain I can't know this. Not like I doubt this, like I think this probably isn't true. And that is a, such an important nuance, because especially when we get into the topic of human nature, which is going to be in the next episode. Uh, you know, that nuance between I just don't know this for sure, I don't know this as a certainty versus I think this probably isn't true or I have a kind of doubtful, cynical perspective on this, like that nuance is so important. And so skepticism in the way that I want to discuss it here, um is a school of thought that as far as I understand originated in ancient Greece, at least that's like, those are the records that we have. Um, and I'd love to just write a little love letter to the ancient Greeks right now, because I think they are such a fascinating culture and there's so many fascinating cultures, um, from all over the world, but the ancient Greeks are relevant to the, to the episode that I'm recording right now. So, I mean, I, like, everyone's heard of an atom, right? But not everybody knows that where we get the term atom is that in ancient Greece, there was a school of philosophers called the atomists who postulated that if you were to cut anything that you find around you, like any material object in the world, so myself, my cat, a sofa, not that they had those, or maybe they did, um, you know some water, whatever you could find. If you were to cut that and 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 cut that, you would eventually get to like one kind of type of substance that you wouldn't be able to cut anymore, like a little particle and cut, they called it the atom and they were like, it's the same, like all material, all the matter in the world is made of this substance, the same stuff. And if you think about a society without microscopes that just like, Made this up, like literally just imagined that everything in the world, the human body, sand, water, fire, could be divided down into one substance. That is like a very fucking wild postulation. Like, who came up with that? That is so crazy. And yet, you know, until we discovered subatomic particles, that was the truth. And, and it still is the truth, right? Like, okay, it's not the truth that you can't divide an atom anymore, but it is the truth that all matter in the universe is made of the same stuff. What That is counterintuitive. Like, why would you think that? And so it's amazing to me that the ancient Greeks were just like, yeah, we think this. And then science years and years and years and years, like <laughs> thousands of years later was like, actually, that's true. You know, wild. So I love the ancient Greeks. They said a lot of really stupid things as well, but such interesting things came out of that culture. And one of those things, my favorite thing ever, and if you've seen The Matrix, it's based on this uh, skepticism of the external world. Effectively, how do we know that the world we're experiencing exists objectively outside of our experience of it? So if every conscious being, every human, every, maybe even every animal, anything with eyes or a brain or the ability to see the world blinked out of existence, would the universe still exist in the way that it is? Is it the case Um, in a kind of like Newtonian physics perspective that the universe is effectively just matter that's interacting and consciousness is a byproduct of that matter interacting and that our eyes and our brains are functioning such that we are taking in like the truth of what's around and we're seeing truthfully what's around you know and what's interesting about that in the time that we're living now is science has actually proven that no we don't experience the world as it is um you know we know that there's far more information that's coming into our eyes and being processed by our brains than we consciously experience. We know that matter is affected by our observations of it. Um, You know, that multiple possibilities exist simultaneously until they're observed and then they collapse into one possibility. That's quantum mechanics. But it's still not really like a very commonly held belief by people living in our time that we can't take our experiences for granted. You know, that, that, that what we're observing, even, even what science is observing is subjective. It's not objective. And so I want to address that there's a number of different ways we can use the terms subjective and objective, right? So in the, in the way in which I'm using it now, what I mean is that we cannot escape from the subjectivity of our reality. Like we don't know what the truth is of the nature of being and the nature of, exi- of existence and the nature of reality is all we have to go off of is our experience of it. Our science is subjective in this way, you know, and then I like to think of discussions about reality, like layers of an onion. So, you know, we could say, okay, if you're really, really, really talking about like the core of what is reality and you're in the most like The most philosophical question of that, then that's what we're talking about now, which is basically like we don't fucking know and we can't know epistemologically. We cannot know what the nature of reality is outside of our subjective experience of it or that there even is a reality outside of our objective experience, our subjective experience of it. Like what (laughs) what does reality even mean? Um (laughs) I got so, oh yeah, I was talking about layers of reality. So then, okay, then we can talk about shared reality, right? So science can be described as being objective because it defines what we might consider to be facts, um, which are like shared. I consider that to be something like sort of shared reality, right? So uh, our collective observations, and then you might be sitting in a room with five people and one of them, uh, you know, has a hallucinatory mental illness or something. Uh, and, uh, or like, I don't know if I, am not going to get in the weeds about the concept of, of mental illness and, and its relationship to the nature of reality right now, but, say like, you know, one person in the room is like, oh, there's a pink elephant in the corner and the other five people are like, yeah, that's not there. Then the relative reality might be that the, the, the people that don't see that are like, this is more, our perspective is more real than that person's. That might not be true actually, right? That might actually be there and they just don't see it. And then again, like there's this, When I said that, even just now, I befuddled myself because I was like, well, what do I mean by it's actually there, right? Because experience in and of itself is also a type of reality. And so when I try to answer the question, what can I say that I know about the nature of reality? I end up just saying, all I know is that I'm having the experience of being something that I can call an I, like uh, I'm, I, I, I experience myself being very similar to Descartes, and that I know that my exer- experience exists as an experience. So I know that I'm experiencing like my camera in front of me, this piece of paper. You know, I don't know if this piece of paper like objectively exists outside of my experience of it, but I know that it does exist as my experience. And that's like taking it even a step farther than Descartes, who was like, well, I'm thinking. And I was like, yeah, but you're also having an experience and that experience exists as an experience. So skepticism of the external world, Nuances about using the term objective versus subjective. Um, For the sake of this conversation, I'm using objective and subjective. And for the sake of when we're discussing skepticism of the external world, I'm using objective and subjective to describe like observed versus not observed. And we can't know what the objective nature of reality is. Our entire understanding of reality is subjective because we are observing it. And that's the only thing we have. And we cannot escape from that. And we don't have the capacity to measure anything without it being subjective in that way. So thank you for tolerating that digression about subjectivity and objectivity, but Sometimes it's, it feels inescapable to me to address these nuances um, so that we all really know what we're talking about, right? I don't want to get into an argument with someone who's arguing with me about objectivity. And in their mind, what they mean by that is facts that are defendable by science. While what I mean is you know, science is inherently subjective. So we need to know what we're talking about. We need to know what we mean. We need to know what layer of the onion of reality we are on while we're talking. So, skepticism, the ancient Greeks, atomists, objectivity and subjectivity, colloquial, philosophical, and personal terms, layers of reality, semantics. Um, so, again, science is a tool that has limitations, it only has the capacity to measure our experience you know, and not necessarily measuring like it can measure things that we don't directly experience, but then we experienced those measurements. We invented the tools that are measuring those things. So we're discovering things that weren't apparent to us with the naked eye, but we're still every part of the scientific method is a uh A a tool of human observation. So it's subjective. And so, you know, I, I think I mentioned this in an earlier episode, but I have this kind of thing about like science dogmatists where science, like a lot of people have this idea that science is this infallible thing and that if it's not provable by science or not already proven by science, that it's somehow not true. And so, you know, part of the reason why I bring up skepticism in this instance is that I believe that healthy skepticism is a very important thing to have, a a healthy humility in understanding how little we actually know, how little we understand, how many limitations there are on science and what science is actually for and what science can do and what science can't do, right? And so... What we can do with science in order to serve this utopian-ish vision that I'm discussing here in case you forgot, because I know there have been a lot of tangents and I think about this space and my way of being in it and this podcast as kind of a series of organized tangents. (laughs) Um, Science can help us understand some of the universals of human experience. So, you know, one of the big, uh, arguments that people make against the concept of utopia is like, well, everybody wants a different thing. You know, people are all different. They, everything's relative. You know, how could we pick a society, how could we come up with a society that would serve everyone? And, you know, that's true ish, but there are a lot of universals, um, to being human. And so, you know, first figuring out what are, what are we aiming for? Um, And so I did this in a little bit of a backwards, I put this later in my, uh, in my list, but I want to address it now, which is like, what is our goal? What is society for? If all we have to go off of is our experience of life, then the aim of a utopia and the aim of society is to make that experience as good as possible to like, to improve our experience of living. And we can use science to determine what improves our experience of living. So, you know, in the next episode, I'm going to be talking about, uh, like the nature of suffering, because I wrote here kind of like, what is society for? How would we improve our experience? Well, we would reduce suffering. And I, the, the word that I chose for the positive thing that we would be increasing is fulfillment. And the reason that I chose that word is that I think fulfillment encapsulates a lot of things like pleasure and meaning and purpose Like, I think that fulfilled is how we want to feel at the end of our life. You know, pleasure is a part of that, but it's not enough in and of itself. Meaning is a part of that, but it's not enough in and of itself. Purpose is a part of that. But I think fulfillment is a really good encapsulation of all of the things that we understand about what a what a good life is and i really want to get on this podcast a teacher that i had in undergrad because my senior seminar was a senior seminar called the good life and it was all about like what makes a good life and that's the fundamental question here that's the fundamental question of building a utopian society what makes a good life right and so we can use science and other types of study and analysis to figure out what are like universal truths about being a human being that we all want, you know, what brings us meaning? What brings us fulfillment? What brings us pleasure? What reduces our suffering? So that's the role that science plays in, in coming up with a utopia. And that's how we can determine (laughs) objectively. And by objectively in this instance, I mean, not just by personal opinion but by verifiable fact quote unquote and i think when i use the term fact i'm going to mean like this is pretty much a universally observable truth like it's a it's a it's a it's a function of science that scientifically verifiable observation that's what a fact is And um, that's the role of science, and that's a way that we can pursue a utopian society. Now, I want to address now the concept of metaphysics. Because a lot of people have sought to answer the question of how to live a good life or, you know, how to have a utopia through metaphysical means. And by that I mean, like, many religions do this where they're like, well, you know, we can't know, but we have to have faith in this particular metaphysical worldview. There's a, there's a God and there's heaven and hell. And these are the things that you have to do and and here's why. And no, we can't know, but you just have to have faith and and that's how to determine that you have a good life and And a lot of people will argue for that type of perspective because they'll be like, well, it, it first of all, the argument is well, you just have to have faith, <laughs> okay, you know, but I think that the practical argument for that is that it's somehow like that it provides you with a moral compass and we don't need faith-based metaphysical worldviews in order to have a moral compass, right? Like we can build a moral compass based on our shared experiences of life, our experiences and science, right? So, you know, it's illegal in most, if not all, developed societies to murder people because collectively we were, we were like, this is bad. This creates suffering. Let's not allow people to do this. And people still do it sometimes, but at way less often than they did before we collectively agreed that you should go to jail for this. Right. And so, you know, we have the capacity to have a moral compass Without the need for something, some unverifiable worldview or faith or what have you. and and I would also argue that in in my experience, and I know that this is potentially going to be controversial for some followers of this podcast, faith-based metaphysical worldviews are often very impractical and create way more suffering, right? Because then you start to take on these arbitrary, Laws that work against human nature and work against what feels good and natural to us and gives us purpose and meaning, um, and you start like pointing the finger, and and uh, it, it it has been used as a defense to create a lot of suffering in the world. So I find metaphysical worldviews as a basis for utopia building not only unnecessary but often. Very impractical. So, we don't need that, right? We need to just acknowledge that, you know, the point of all this is to say what we have is our experience. That's what we're basing this off of. But the other point is to have some humility about what it is that we think we know about being a human being. About the nature of the reality within which we find ourselves. And the point of that humility, the point of this healthy skepticism, is it provides us with possibility-mindedness. And that's another thing that metaphysical worldviews like religions deny you. Because you're not allowed to question. You're not allowed to envision other possibilities. You have to accept the, the, the capital T truth, right? Possibility-mindedness Optimism is the most important tool that we can have when we're utopia building as a society. We have to believe that anything is possible. And the fact that we know so little about the objective reality of the universe within which we find ourselves – means that anything is possible, right? Like magic could be real. Like I'm in a manifestation program right now. And not only is manifestation defended by a lot of aspects of the current science that we have, but it's like, I don't want to go down a whole rabbit hole about manifestation right now. So let me just think about how I want to, how I want to relate this to what I'm saying. Things like manifestation, not only do, have they been observed to work, but they're rooted in things that we don't scientifically understand. And so, you know, having possibility mindedness about things like manifestation and basing our relationship to things like that on whether or not when we try them, they work. Those are things that can really help us advance as a society, you know, not cynically rejecting things that we don't understand because we haven't figured out how to explain them with science because science is this end all be all right we do not understand the universe if you are having a hard time with that watch some youtube videos about quantum mechanics you know um so possibility mindedness is so important like So many people that I talk to about utopian societies, etc., they always want to look at the past and go, oh, well, human beings are. You know, we get into the realm of cynicism, which I'm going to talk about at length in the next episode, but human beings a human nature is is this or that or the other thing and we could never have a utopian society because this and that wow you are so fucking hubristic that you think that you understand that we as a species understand enough about human nature from just the past that we live that we've lived right there is so much more at our disposal than we even understand and having that open-mindedness, having that possibility-mindedness, having that healthy skepticism gives us room to really explore what's possible for us and really grow and expand into the future. And we need that. And that's what skepticism of the external world, that's what a you know a clear understanding of the limitations of our knowledge really provides for us. And that's why I really wanted to set up this series by... Getting this conversation about skepticism and our relationship to knowledge and our relationship to reality out of the way, because I'm going to be questioning that at every turn, you know, we need to release our assumptions. We need to be open minded about what's possible and we cannot chain ourselves to the past as if that's going to tell us what the future can be. Um, and it's, it's, it's some weird function of humans. I think that we, that we even stare down the barrel of so much amazing accomplishment and things that we've done and we're still so cynical. I mean, not me, I'm not fundamentally very cynical, but I think the majority of people that I experience in the world are very cynical and, I wonder why, because and I'm, I, was, I, I was planning and I may decide to continue to do an entire episode about skepticism, although I'm, I'm covering it quite extensively in this episode. Um, cynicism is not practical. It's not helping you. It's not helping us. It isn't helping us. And it, it's not like based in any verifiable science, right? Like cynicism is a very destructive force that is not benefiting us. So, I will be here to break down your cynicism. If you're listening to this and you're like, "Oh, I'm so cynical," then, you know, keep listening because that is not doing you any favors. It's not doing us any favors, and it frankly, you're going to get left in the dust, right? Because the people who change the world are the people who don't have that, right? Like, you know, Think of the, the amazing minds of your time, like Thomas Edison or Einstein or Tesla or anyone else, those were not like cynical people, right? If, if Thomas Edison was a cynic, then, you know, he would have given up a lot earlier. So possibility mindedness is such an important tool. It's, it's the, it's the fundamental core tool of utopia building that I'm going to be fighting for throughout the course of this podcast, um, So in the next few episodes of this series, I'm going to be addressing this question of like, what is society for? It's for reducing suffering and increasing fulfillment. Well, what does that mean? How do we do that? What does that look like? Um, Both in a big visionary perspective and also in a practical way. So my plan, I've started working on the outline for the next episode, and my plan is to talk about suffering and human nature. Um, I'm going to be exploring something and a concept that I was introduced to by Jordan Peterson about the difference between evil and tragedy. Um, and I'm going to be diving into competition and profit-based societal structures like capitalism, like the society that we're currently living in. Um, so that's what the next episode is going to be. So thank you so much for showing up and listening to this episode. It was much shorter than the last one. It feels really short, but, um, I think that's probably good because I know this is like a lot of information. Um, and I want to make sure that it's organized. I want to make sure that it's clear what I'm saying, that the trajectory of thought that we're on makes sense. Um, and that we're not just like aimlessly tangentializing, uh, which I am want to do often, because the thing is like, these ideas are a nexus, they're a web, right? Like everything is interconnected. And so it can be difficult sometimes to lay them out in a logical way. I mean, that's the point of like giving a lecture or writing a book is to take this nexus and this web of ideas and, 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 and of being an independent thinker and of being a person with a, with a particular voice is that you're taking a lot of ideas and concepts and experiences that a lot of other people are experiencing them. And are experiencing and you're organizing them into something that makes sense and something that tells a story and something that sells a sends a message that's unique to you you know and so i'm here to deliver my unique message of how i see the ways that these things interconnect and if you hear some sound in the background it's because my housemate just got home and he's like rummaging around in the living room I can't do anything about that right now. So, uh because I have to leave the door open for my cat to come in and out or else she'll meow at the door, uh city living. So, I'm here to just share my perspective on the intersections between all of these ideas and um I'm really excited for this series because I think it's going to be a really nice way for me to do that to kind of delineate like what the fundamental concepts that we are working uh here in this space on Are And then when I have guests, you'll have a sort of fundamental understanding of like where I'm coming from when I'm in conversation with these guests. So thank you so much for listening. Um, if you would like to support this podcast cost free, uh, you can subscribe on YouTube and Spotify. That is super helpful. Uh, and I'm still waiting for Apple plus to accept the podcast. So if you are listening to this in the future, you might also follow us on Apple. Um, and leave a five star review or a, like a good review. if you like us. If you don't like us, then you could probably just not leave a review. <laughs> I don't know why I'm saying us because I'm literally the only person who's working on this, but um, you can follow at Aspasia media on uh, all social media, including TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, you can tell your friends about the podcast, please. That is really, really, really helpful. Um, you can join the mailing list at the website of my startup, which is www.aspasia.media. That's A S P A S I A, and that way I'll be updating you as like the startup that I am the founder of. We are like an ideation stage. Um, as I'm developing that, you can get notified and I'll also probably be sending out, I'm not currently sending out any newsletters, but I'm hoping to soon, sending out updates about the podcast, et cetera. I'm still very much in the early stages of these projects. Um, and if you want to learn more about that startup, you can, uh, watch or listen to the second episode of this podcast entitled, What is Aspasia Media? So thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you. Please uh, spread the word, do the follows, all the things, show me that you're here, leave me some comments, um, help me know I'm not like just shouting into the void and uh, I'll see you in the next episode on human nature and suffering and capitalism and competition-based societal structures and uh, we'll keep utopia building together. Thank you you <music>